1: The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with LINE Trust Specialist Fund Managers.
0: Hello podcast fans, I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Total Football. This national break is upon us once more and we too are breaking from the norm this week as we welcome a man who has played football alongside Diego Maradona and Pele but would trade it all for a strike partnership with Sam Vokes. Yes, it is of course Alistair Campbell. The journalist, political aide and author discusses everything from the relationship between sport and politics to who would be a better Prime Minister, Theresa May or Sean Deich? Let's not waste any more time and travel now into the audio recording facility. Alistair Campbell, welcome to Total Football. How are you feeling? I'm all right. Good. I'm well, right. seventh in the table. Very possibly going to finish above Arsenal. Goalkeeper who could start for England in the World Cup. Is this the best you've ever known it as a Burnley fan?
1: It's not far off it. Although I think one of my sort of uh, my feelings as a football fan is that you have to have the comparisons. So you mentioned Arsenal. You know, a lot of the younger Arsenal fans that I know, they they kind of moan and groan the whole time and they think that they should be sort of, you know, being invincible every year. If you've followed Burnley as I have, right down to the bottom of the league, you know, we were 92nd and had to win our last game against Orient to stay in the league. And I think if we hadn't won that, we'd have been finished as a club, by the way. When was that? 87. So I started watching them in the early 60s when I was a child. um, And we were reigning league champions. Quarter of a century later, we had to win that game to stay in the league. So we've been right down and now back up. So yeah, this has definitely been. But Fiona, my partner, who's lived with my football addiction all our life together, she said the other day that she said she'd never, even though I've always been obsessed about Burnley. It, this this recent times, it's like every now and again I'll say I'm not going to go on Saturday. I'm going to give it a miss, and then come Thursday, I'm on the train line app, and that's it. I'm off. When was
0: your favourite time
1: to watch them? Probably in my teens, because I think that's when I really started to... I've always loved watching Burnley, actually. The, o- the only time I stopped was for a while when John Bond was manager. I just I think we just sort of lost the plot then. But, yeah, I'd say now, the last few years, and my teens. That, my teens was when... Because what happened with me is I, was, I grew up in Yorkshire which is, you know, fairly near Burnley, where I was in Keithley, about 19, 20 miles away. Slightly closer to Bradford, though. Yeah, a bit closer to Bradford, and Leeds is not that far away, and Norse Halifax. We used to go and watch all these teams, but Burnley just got me right from the word go. Uh, and I do think it was partly the colours, it's partly the ground, it's partly the atmosphere, it was just, I felt better. So it got me, and I've been hooked ever since. Um, but I think that, at the moment, there is something kind of almost gravity-defying about what we're doing. And a lot of it is down to Sean Dyche, our manager. There's no doubt about that. He's been absolutely brilliant. But it was also down to, you know, the board. I mean, when we got how many... I interviewed Sean recently for Sky. And, you know, I said to him that you... How many... When we got relegated with him at the helm, how many clubs would have just thought, oh, you can't have a manager take you down. It was never, ever a question about getting rid of him. Never. And now I think he's he's almost bucking the trend in terms of you know people said that Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger would be the last two old fashioned managers who really have a say in how the club is run. Sean Dyche is doing that now.
0: The other thing about getting relegated was they didn't blink, did they? Like the the, the possibilities you go down and you use all of the money you've earned yeah. from that year in the Premier League, but Burnley stuck to their guns. Was that a hard thing for them to do? Do you think?
1: I don't think it was, and I think I think it was never. I don't think it was ever a question. And the thing you have to remember about about Burnley and our board—they're all Burnley fans, you know. They're, they're, and I'm I'm not saying that you should sort of have a, a blanket ban on foreign money coming into football, but I think it's an interesting debate. Uh, but you you really feel when you're at Burnley that the club there's something about it, and I and I really would worry if if that ever changed the dynamic of that. There is a sense of kind of. You know, there is a sort of feeling that the whole thing is a team, the board, the fans, the players, that it's it's really got something that I think most clubs have actually lost quite a lot of.
0: Everyone thinks their team's special, though, don't they? Convince me that Burnley... They're all basically the same, really, when it comes down to it. We've we've had, as a QPR fan, I've had moments where it's felt like that at Loftus Road. Yeah. Convince me that Burnley are any different. What's really special about them?
1: Okay, did you feel that when Bernie Eccleston and Bria Torre were hanging around the boardroom? Absolutely not. There you go. Uh, Do we feel that now... With a manager that I think does represent values that go through the club. Uh, What are they? Well, I think with I think with Sean, I think it's about an understanding that the club really, really means something. I mean, if you if you go and look at our community work and our community, all clubs talk about community, right? And they all do it. But the question is, do they do it in a way that really understands the community and benefits the community? I think they do.
0: Now, what what does that look like, understanding, doing work that understands the community rather uh, than
1: just sending, you know, players to hospitals? Sending players to the hospitals is a tiny part of it. If you, if you, you you ought to get our guy, Neil Hart, on the programme. He's a really interesting guy. He came from Watford, like Sean did. And, you know, we're, we're into the hundreds in terms of people who are working in the community. So it means that the The sense of, you know, being, not just being in the schools, you know, going and signing autographs, but being in the schools, helping with fitness programs, helping counter obesity, really getting hands dirty. So I think the other thing I'd say that, in fact, when I talk to Sean about this, um, and I've got to know him really, really well. He's, you know, he's he's a good mate. He's a fantastic bloke. Uh, But I think he really understands that. I think, you know, there's a difference between I, I can talk to him in a way that is different to if I'm talking to him and there are two microphones there. I think he has a sense of this club really matters in this place. Now, you know, I've spent a lot of time recently with Paul Fletcher, who's one of my heroes as a, as, when I was a kid and he was a player, because he and I have written this novel together about football. And one of the reasons why we, he wanted to write a novel about football is because his grandchildren kept saying to him, because in his... So he was our most expensive ever player in 19, when he when he joined us in 1970, uh, sixty six thousand quid. So his grandchildren think, right? Well, he must be like the top Premier League players today. His life must have been like that. And of course, it wasn't. It was very, very different. So, what what I think has been re- interesting in getting to know somebody like Sean Dyche? Of course, the money's different. He's on a you know he's on a massive whack compared to what most people in the area are. The players are on huge money compared to what most people in Burnley are on. The quality of the pitches, the quality of the training ground, the impact of the media, the role of television—it's a totally different world, and yet, I feel that the club is totally identifiable with the club that I've always known. Now, part of that is to do with the stadium. We've never moved stadium. I think there's only us and Preston that have never moved grounds in the whole league. But yeah, I think we're—I think I know you're right. Most people think their club is special, but I can—I can look at so much that's going on in Burnley and at the moment. I think it's, um, it's part of the physicality. I'd be very worried if we did ever move ground because our ground is bang in the middle of the town. It's the first thing that anybody notices.
0: Yeah, it's a lovely walk through the town from the station. I've been there, saw us lose 2-0. On Dyche, in your friendship with him, do you give him any advice on players or strategy? Oh, I pick the team
1: every week. Yeah, good. Yeah, I find him up Friday, say, Sean, you know, i say, Sean, let's just play the same team again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he and I have a very piss-taking relationship with each other he's got this running joke about I've got a butler and a helicopter neither of those are true I've got a running joke about him that his house is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because his salary is getting bigger and bigger and bigger but actually he likes to have people outside football that he sort of bounces a few things off so he did say that even though most of the time I talk complete rubbish about how I once played with Pele and Maradona which is true uh I do occasionally give him an insight that's worth having. And I do know he's read my winner's book. He's had the audio book, because he he would regularly phone me, him and Ian Wohan on the drive up and down the motorway, and he would phone me and say, I'll just listen to your book, you know, I love that bit, about where Floyd Mayweather said, whatever.
0: Do you do that impression in front of Sean Dyche?
1: I do, I do. I regularly do that. I'd... I'd, I'd be worried. Do you know what, though? I think people underestimate, I hope he hears this, how sensitive he is. Oh, I don't mean sensitive to criticism. I think he's very good at taking that. I think he's very sensitive to people. Uh, I don't look, he's, he was a hard player and he's, I think his image because of the voice and the look and the stone cold, Steve Austin haircut and the little goatee beard and the, uh, and he, he was telling me in the interview, with Sky, guy says that he, he sometimes goes into shops and stuff. I'll tell you a funny story about with, again, with Ian Wohan, we went out for dinner one night. Uh, and, and Sean picked me up from the station and we were going out for dinner and he, he stopped at this garage and I thought he was getting petrol. And he went into the, into the, the place where he, he came up with some toilet roll. I said, I can't believe you buy your own toilet. He said, well, you know, I've got a bottle. I've got a bottle. I've got to get my own toilet roll. <laughs> so him and he and Ian Wong lived together this kind of, their families are, you know, further south because Sean's kids are in school and Ian's kids are in school and, you know, they're, they're settled where they are. They're housemates. They, they're flatmates, yeah. They're, they're, they're like Mr. and Mrs., you know, so they, they live together uh, and they work together. But, you know, they're they're definitely a team. And I think that's the other thing that Sean's got. He's a really good motivator of his... I was at the training ground a couple of weeks ago and you, there's, a, there's a really good feel around it. You can go into some training grounds and it just doesn't feel like people are on it, you know. There's a really good feel to it. And I think that a lot of that is down to... Down to leadership. Could he cut it for England, do you think? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I hope he doesn't, but I think he will. Um, I don't know how long he'd stay at, at Burnley. He's been there five years. He's got a, He's signed a new contract. And now, no, contracts don't mean that much. And I don't think people would, you know, if a really genuinely big club, bigger than us even, uh, came in for him, I don't think people would resent that. But I think it's interesting. We talked a bit about how, you know, Eddie Howe, who I like, by the way, uh, he did a, he did a you know, pretty good job at Burnley, but nowhere near as good as Sean has done. And yet whenever people are talking about who's going to replace Wenger and who might be the next sort of English manager really to make it, it's usually Eddie Howe that they talk about. Do you think he'd be reluctant to take one
0: of those jobs at a bigger club? Because quite often the path, if you've succeeded at a smaller club and you go a level up, it can be career-ruining, basically, in, in, and in quite a short space of time.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, well, look, I think he's a very, I think he's a very ambitious guy. I think he's very, he's obviously very ambitious for, for Burnley at the moment. He's very ambitious for himself, and I don't mean that in a kind of, in a negative way at all. He's very ambitious. He sets big ambitions and he goes for them. Um, I would, I would, I think you you get to know somebody by looking at them, by by studying them a bit, and by seeing them close up and seeing them in a public space. And um, I wouldn't have had. Any worries about him? I think he's a very clever guy. I think people underestimate how clever he is. He's smart, and um, so yeah, I I, I I can see him going to. Uh, I, I don't think he'd be worried about that. I think he's. And the thing, you know, the thing about about Burnley. Obviously, we're you know we're a we're a small club relative to you know, most of the clubs around us in the league at the moment in terms of money, in terms of wage bill. But you know, we've we're we're, we're one of the best run clubs in the country, mm. um, and and I think Sean has. Developed a, a relationship with the chairman and with the board and with the town and with the people that has really cemented this sense of him being, you know, like an old fashioned football club manager. Mm.
0: The way the club is run, very much within its own means, are we going to be talking about the Burnley model in years to come in the way that we were talking about Southampton being the blueprint for everyone about five years ago with youth players coming through? Is it all going to be all about just, you know, running it like a business?
1: Um, I don't know is the answer to that but I certainly think that the the you know the the, 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 the the you you alluded earlier to the fact that you know when we did have that money coming in we didn't blow it now in today's market and I think this is something that Sean has to really wrestle with because it's all very well say you know we get somebody like Chris Wood 15 million pounds a record signing which you know for a Manchester City you're going to pay that for a you know a teenager that may or may not work out so we're paying that for our top players but of course what you have to do alongside that is pay the money to them as players uh, that that sort of price tag justify justify so that ongoing costs so we have to be as a club i think we have to be probably more tight in terms of thinking about it. you can't take too many risks on the on your on your recruitment and and again we've we've you know, we've bought really, really well. I mean, you mentioned Nick Pope. I mean, that is inc- the Nick Pope story is incredible. If you look at Nick Pope's stats, they are incredible. Only De Gea gets near. Only David, David De Gea gets anywhere near in terms of performance. And there was a piece, I think, in your paper the other day um, that said, you know, if you take the four goalkeepers that Southgate's got in the squad, if you're looking at data and stats, it's got to be Nick Pope. Now, This time last year, he was on the bench and he was looking forward, if that's the right phrase, to another year probably on the bench. So I don't think there's ever been a story like it in terms of somebody who is expecting to spend the year as an understudy and, as you say, is now looking like they will go to the World Cup, should go to the World Cup, and in my view, totally unbiased, looking at the stats, should be number one. The idea that Joe Hart's going to play ahead of Nick Pope, sorry, just... Don't even go
0: there. Yeah, it doesn't seem sensible. Given that I work for the Telegraph, I'm interested in the relationship between sport and the media. There are plenty of aggressive press officers now. Very little access to players in comparison to the past. Managers often very hostile, mm. very much setting out the terms of how they're going to communicate. Do they need us anymore?
1: I uh, now you're kind of agony aunt. Is this is this turning into a sort <laughs> of? <laughs> I think you have to understand that. The context, just the extent to which the context has changed there's a bit in our in our novel where the manager Charlie Gordon who's this rough tough Scott and uh, he hates Don Revy so we've got a fictional team playing real teams and they have got this game against Leeds and he's and, and Don Revy's on the other bench and he's swearing about Don Revy and his number two says to him Gaffer just watch your language we're the main game on match of the day tonight they might pick you up right now so that just gives you a sense. To th- these days, if you're Sean Dyche or Mo- Pochettino or Eddie Howe or any manager, including in the lower leagues, you're on camera all the time. All the time. Every single second there is a camera on a Premier League manager. Uh, that's a different game. Has that made them potentially a little bit more buttoned up? Has the noise around football made them a little bit more buttoned up? I think so. Has it also made them understand that... So I think if you were talk to Sam Allardyce, for example, I think Sam would say that his his sojourn at Newcastle, he would say, was ended by the media. Whether he's right or he's wrong, that is a factor that he might then weigh in future engagement with the media. So I think they think about it more, but they also don't... If they For them to do their job properly, they mustn't let it get to them. Because I think once they let it get to them, they're in they're in trouble. So I think they are necessarily putting up barriers. But you know the other thing you you asked me earlier to persuade you that that Bernie's different. I'm do, I've just been making a documentary about mental health, and uh, we, we we filmed one of the scenes at a game, um, and the film the the guy who's who runs the film company that's making the film he he came along, and. Funny enough, he's a big QPR fan, uh, like yourself. And he said to me afterwards, he said, "I've worked, I've been to loads of football clubs. He said, I have never met a friendlier press team than the one you've got here." Now, I, I think that goes back to: does that help us or does that harm us? I think it helps us. Do the players give as much access? No, uh, but when they do, it's good. And it's back to the thing about, remember Sean Dyche said when I did that interview for Sky, he said that one of the things his his parents taught him was whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability. If you're going to clean your shoes, clean them really, really well. If your job is to sweep the floor, sweep it really, really, really well. So I think the mentality that should be for players, if you don't want to do the media, fine. But if you are doing the media, do it well. And think about how you do it.
0: On the subject of your new book, Saturday Bloody Saturday, it's a novel about football. Football fiction,
1: not a particularly rich tradition. No, I know.
0: Was it a hard one to write?
1: I really enjoyed writing and it, and I enjoyed writing it with somebody else who happened to be a footballer in the 70s, which is the era that we're talking about. But, you know, one of the motivations for doing it is the fact that not just football, but sport generally, there's not much great fiction out there. Isn't that because it creates its own storylines yeah, in real life? Correct, exactly. I think that's exactly what it's about, is the people... But if you somebody, I did an interview a while back and they said, "What's your favourite novel about sport?" And I ended up saying "This Sporting Life" by David Storey, which is about sixty years old now. Now I still think it's the best. Obviously, we run it at a very very close second. But no, I think it, it, it's interesting how how little great fiction there has been about sport, um, and yet the the what what I've really enjoyed about about doing this, and because I, you're absolutely right that the thing is, if you're If you're watching Barcelona against Real Madrid, right, the spectacle is what you're really interested in and seeing Messi and seeing Ronaldo. And so what goes on behind the scenes and and all that sort of stuff? It's interesting, but it's not as interesting as what goes on there. So like you talking about the relationship with the media, you can have all the press conferences and the build-up to a Champions League game and they can play mind games or not play mind games. You guys can fill hundreds of pages and thousands of hours. But ultimately, it's all about when you get to those 90 minutes, sometimes 100 minutes, on the pitch. That's what counts. Whereas with a novel, what you're doing is you're stepping back from that and trying to get into it from different angles in a deeper world and and so I, and it's such a what, what I've loved about doing this work writing this one with Paul Fletcher is the fact we've created our own team now basically I am a frustrated football manager I would love to be a football manager it's just I wouldn't be very good at it probably why wouldn't you be good at it well I might be good at it but, um, but I think it'd be very very hard to do it from a non-football background I think it's still quite hard I can have lots of insights and but but I think I've watched football with people who really know football have you ever applied for a manager's job no no when Steve Cottrell got the job at Burnley Ladbrooks did have me as 150 to 1 that was the closest I've ever got no I wouldn't ever uh, I don't think I could do it but I think I could you know maybe offer ideas and insights but I've, I've been at matches for example with I remember once Alex Ferguson came to watch Arsenal play at, when we were playing them in the cup I think it was and, and I've been at a few games with him, and if you're sitting watching football with somebody who really, really, really knows football, they are definitely seeing things that you don't see. What sort of things? I can remember, I think Arsenal had a player called, was it Randall? We had him on loan for a while. And he was playing, and I can remember Alex Ferguson saying to me, he's going to make a change, he's going to take him off in five minutes, he's going to bring on so-and-so, and it happened. No, I sometimes could do that based on the fact that I see Sean Dykes telling our subs to warm up. But I can't do it based on watching the game. And I think that, you know, things like when you talk to, it's funny now with my son because he's, he's in the in the football world. And when I hear him with talking to football people, they speak a different language. They speak a completely different mm. language. And You must be able to do that, though, with sort of, I, I
0: think they're going to make a change to the Shadow Cabinet. And you see that coming kind of a mile off.
1: Well, I wish I could see it right now with the cabinet. I wish I could see it with with Brexit policy. Here we are in one of the one of the high temples of the Brexit madness. Will that get cut as well? No, we're in the audio recording facility, which is politically neutral. <laughs> oh, is this politically neutral? Absolutely. Okay, okay, it's a safe space. Okay, thank you. I feel I feel I'm looking out at a massive Sunday Telegraph, Daily Telegraph logo. No, I, I do I do love football, but I think one of the reasons I I it's a fant- the, the manager thing is a fantasy. It's it's like I couldn't do it because I don't know enough about football, um, even though I've watched thousands of matches. I, I, I watch... This is the thing about pundits as well. I think there are a lot of bad pundits out there, but the pundits who are really, really good, they tell you things you didn't see. Now, I think somebody like Sean Dyche, Ian Wone, Tony and Billy Mercer, our coaching team, when they are watching a game, they are all seeing things that I don't see. The Telegraph
0: Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can
1: fall as well as rise.
0: Your excitement for sport seems completely undimmed. Has it ever waned at any point? Despite, you know, being very close to it when you went on the Lions tour.
1: Uh, Has it ever waned? Yeah, it it has waned actually. Funny At the moment I'm watching a lot less football. I'm watching in person or on telly, no, no, on, on in person, I'm watching loads because I'm going to Burnley games, but um, and I still watch Scott, I still follow Scottish football quite closely. Um, I watched that amazing Celtic Motherwell 0 0 the other day, which was <laughs> I do love a good 0 0. Do you have a Scottish team? Uh, I've got a, Kilmarnock is my number one, uh, Celtic and Partick Thistle are quite close as well. Celtic, because the Lisbon Lions was one of my first. Really big sporting memories. And also, there's a, here's another little story for you. When I get, you know, quite a lot of letters from people just write randomly out of the blue. And I always reply to them. And one of the reasons is that I once wrote to David Hay at Celtic uh, after he'd been in the World Cup for Scotland. And I wrote to him just saying I loved the way he played and I loved his attitude. I don't know why I wrote to him, but I did. And he sent me back a really, really nice letter. So that's the reason I always write to people. Um, And the other one's party. Thistle was my dad's team. So, um, But, but, you know, like, for example, a few years ago, I would, if you'd have seen, if there'd been a game like, I don't know, Schalke against Leverkusen, I'd have watched that. But now, there are some Sundays I will literally sit on the sofa all day and watch football. But I will have my laptop. I'll be doing a bit of work on the side and I'll tell you what I've got much better at if a game is boring I'll turn it off never used to do that so has my love of sport dimmed I do think for example the London Olympics was like one of the best times to be alive in this country and I sort of feel at the moment we've got the opposite of the Olympic spirit going around the country and so that that general sense of my political cultural well-being not being very happy I think is is making me feel that you know, I'm not, I won't watch that much, but I still I watch quite a lot of rugby league. Um, I, I I like most sport. I watched quite a lot of the um, the Winter Olympics. Um, yeah, I love sport. I, I think there's there's something about it that 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 is the best of the human spirit, and you you sometimes get the worst of the human spirit in there as well. But that's kind of that's part of the landscape.
0: Were you watching it much in the late nineties when you were in government?
1: Yeah, I did. I did. I I, I found that. I mean, Burnley for me back then was a massive release. It was the one time that, you know, this Downing Street switchboard knew, don't bother me. What division were you in? We were kind of championship and one mainly. Uh, I remember getting, when we got promoted at Scunthorpe, heady days, Mickey Mellon and Glenn Little, two great goals, and we got Stan Turner as manager. And I had to get back from, we were, it was uh, Northern Ireland talks, were really, really intense. And it was, I mean, I, I felt, there was a part of me felt bad, but I did actually leave early. I said, I'm not, I can't miss this, Tony, I've got to go. <laughs> uh, and, um.
0: I, and thought I, you said, I thought you meant you'd left the game early, not the, uh... No,
1: left the talks early. <laughs> no, I did leave the game early, no way. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, and, and I did feel a little bit bad about that. Uh, but there was no way I was going to miss the game that we got promoted. Uh, and it was a great day. It was just a fantastic day. I think as football fans, we're all quite
0: used to using it as like a conversational icebreaker. It's a very easy thing to fall into with someone you haven't met
1: before. Does that happen in politics? What, football? Mm. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. There was a time when if I got into a taxi... It was straight away we were talking about politics. You know, the driver would just recognise me, say hello, and then we would get into politics. Or sometimes they'd say nothing, and I know they were, you know, <laughs> not fans. But I well, reckon, they just didn't recognise you. Possibly, no, no. You can you get a vibe, you get a vibe. <laughs> but, so, but I'll tell you what happens now is that most random conversations, not most, but a good half of them now, they start with Burnley. And I'll tell you, taxi drivers, they'll say. Love your manager. Love your manager. Wish we had him at Arsenal.
0: They see something in him, in his voice, obviously.
1: Yeah, I think they see the cabbie in there. Identical voice. Um, I know you're a big fan of Jose Mourinho. Do you think he's peaked at this point? No, I'm not necessarily a big fan of Jose Mourinho. I think he's a very interesting guy, and I I did devote a chapter to him in the book on winners because I think he's got a very interesting take on strategy, and that's, you know, which I talked to him about. Has he peaked? Um, It's hard to tell. I think he's... He seems to me to be going through, uh, for him, um, uh, a pretty negative phase. Um, and I, th- I think it's something I think is really interesting. One of the things I was really interested in when I talked to him a few years ago for the book was how much he was very open about this thing about he would take the heat. He would take all the, the, the pressure for his players. He seems to me to have completely changed on that now. And I don't really understand why he's doing this thing of sort of, you know, th- c- he's clearly had a rethink about how you motivate players. But I wonder if it's working. The thing I took, you know, because, you know, I know quite a few managers and I, and I think there's no doubt that the era that I've been writing about in the, with Paul in the novel is, that was a completely different era. I've done loads of interviews with Paul and I, I've heard him tell some of the stories about how managers talked to players back then. I don't think they, today's managers just don't. Even Sean, you know, I mean, I was absolutely determined to get Burnley in the book of winners, obviously. And But actually, where I've got, where I talked to Sean was when we played Blackburn, we had not beaten Blackburn for like, you know, for decades. We'd had this terrible run. And we were winning 1-0 at home against Blackburn. And Scott Arfield, who I love, and by the way, how he never got picked for Scotland, I'm sorry, Gordon, but Scott Arfield should not be playing for Canada, he should be playing for Scotland. Scott Arfield gave the ball away, and it went da-da-da-da-da, and David Dunn scored. And it, and, it, and we drew, right? So this, this hoodoo of not beating Blackburn, I mean, we've put it right since, and now, you know, we we regularly beat them about 13 nil. But he, I said to Sean afterwards, I said, what did you say to Scott? The fan in me is thinking... You know, surely he kind of him against the wall. And said, don't you know what, dead, what this means to the club? And he said, I didn't say anything. What do you mean you didn't say anything? I didn't say anything. He says, do you think he didn't know that he made a mistake? Do you think he won't go home and think, God, you know, of course he will. So what I did, as I patted him on the back, I said, have a day off. See you Monday. We'll have a chat.
0: You interviewed dozens <laughs> of people for your book, Winners, uh, uh- do you think that makes you a good judge now of managers in the Premier League? Can you generally tell pretty quickly if someone's going to be a success or not?
1: Uh no, I don't think that necessarily does. I think you can get a sense of people. That being said, I mean, if if I go through the the top people, I do I still admire I, I do admire Wenger. Uh I think he's brought a huge amount to the English game. Perhaps time for him to start winning in a different field now, though, isn't it?
0: That's got to be part of it, knowing when to Yeah, you know, for sure. For
1: sure, absolutely. Uh and he's and he's he's clearly finding that hard to make that make that leap. Guardiola, don't think you can say he's not, he's not a winner. I think Mourinho's you know when Mourinho's done, as it were, whenever that is, he's 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 got an amazing record, and and I suspect he will rediscover his mojo at some point. I think sometimes it's isn't I mentioned Eddie Howe. It's like sometimes certain clubs work for certain personalities, and and Bournemouth just seems to be his place um, but I think you do I think you've got to be careful not to judge them too much on the stuff that we see um, you know because they it's so high profile now Premier League football these guys do so many press conferences so many interviews they're on the television all the time you know that most clubs have got their own TV stations they're out there they're, they're, they're very very high profile figures and I think they do all develop their persona and I think the where I think it works best is where the persona is real. I think Sean's persona is real. I think um, I think Guardiola's persona probably is real. I don't know Klopp's persona. I think is real. I think where you, where you get into difficulty, and I think this is where Mourinho may be, is is I think people have started to get confused about what the real persona is. The
0: managers themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I think that that, indi- that communicates something to the players. Remember something Wenger once said to me is that when he's doing a press conference or when he's doing a, ma- a pre or post match interview, he says his audience is always the players. Now that's a I think that's a very strategic way to think about it. But I and I don't know the Arsenal players. I don't know what they think of him at the moment. I don't know. Um, I think the other thing that happens is that I mean I've done quite a lot of work in different football clubs. I I never understand why and I did a thing recently for the FA and there were lots of uh, for a pro license course and there were lots of you know pretty big names former players who are currently you know trying to be managers and and I I remember saying to do you know what whenever I go to a football ground I never understand why you guys sit around looking at marks out of 10 in the papers but they do you know and okay it might not affect them and I was saying to them you mustn't let that stuff affect you you mustn't let social media affect you but it's hard I don't know quite how you do that. You know, I mean, I'm 60. I've got a very, very thick skin. I get abused. I get, you know, there isn't a day go by that somebody doesn't call me a war criminal on social media. Somebody doesn't, you know, abuse me over Brexit, whatever it might be. And it, honestly, it doesn't bother me. But I think if you're a 16, 17-year-old, 18-year-old kid who suddenly becomes a really big name in football and you suddenly find you're being abused left, right and centre, I think that might have an effect on you. It might have an effect on your confidence.
0: That fear factor for young players—that seems to be a thing that ties in with the problems with the England team. What do you think is uh, is running through the the black heart at the centre of the England national football team? What, what's the big problem there? And do you care as a Scotland fan? Um,
1: well, I, I, I don't. I mean, look, just as the Burnley fans, I once got absolutely lacerated by a load of Burnley fans because I said, "I don't mind it. Why do I care whether Blackburn? As long as they're not doing better than us, you know. I don't. I'd like. I don't want Blackburn to be sort of you know out of business, and." You know, I, I, it's true. I support Burnley and Scotland. Um, do I care that much about the England? Yeah, I, I'd rather did well than did badly. I think it's good for the country. I think it's good for sort of morale around the place if they do well. Um, but you know, I wrote I wrote about this in in the winners' book, in the, in the strategy on section that you, the German football is strategic. They they you have the clubs, you have the league, you have the national federation. They all have their own. Objectives, but and they're separate. But they also have a sense of alignment about their their contribution to the bigger picture, the national game. I would say in our football, the Premier League is incredibly strategic. The Football Association, less so, and that is because they haven't got that sense of alignment. So, and we have to decide, you know, do we care enough? Like, I mean, look, at Burnley, we don't have that many foreign players. We've got. Uh, Johan Bert Goodenson, we've got, we've got the 4 we've got a couple on the bench, but you know, we've got the Irish guys. But most clubs now, there's a you know, particularly the star players, they tend to be non English and non British. Now, do those fans who support those clubs and do those clubs who also want England do, to do well, do they really care about England? Now, unless you answer that question honestly, we're not going to move on because if the answer is no, they actually care more about their club and the Premier League cares more about the Premier League being a global brand, which it is, and we're and they don't feel the same responsibility to help the game nationally, then things aren't going to move. So unless you get that strategic alignment, I don't think anything's going to change.
0: Who are you supporting in the
1: World Cup? I think the World Cup is going to be really, really interesting for all sorts of, uh, reasons uh, I think the Russian thing I sort of don't want it to be a success
0: What did you make of Boris Johnson comparing Putin and his use of it to Hitler and the Olympics?
1: Well I thought he just bundled, he sort of fell into it because Ian Austin, it was a question from an MP uh, Ian Austin, Labour MP uh, who basically made, he made the comparison and, and I don't think Johnson really I think he just, as he often does, he spoke before he thought um, but I do think that you know, a, a, on a factual level, has Putin not just will he use the word World Cup? Has he already used sport? We saw it at the, uh, the the Sochi Games. I mean, has he already used it to project a certain sense of his own strength and his own power? Yes, and will he do that again? Absolutely for sure. Uh, but if you're going to make a comparison with something like Hitler, be prepared, particularly Russia, which is. You know, let's. I mean, Johnson prides himself on knowing a little bit about history because he's written a book about Churchill. Uh, I think you have to understand a little bit the sensitivities when you've got uh, the fact that the Russians lost as many as they did to Hitler. So, but I think that we, funny enough, I, I, the sorry to keep banging on about my books, but the winner's book I write about Putin, and I, I make the observation that Putin's Russia is the only major organisation in the world whose objective, strategy and tactics are completely aligned. His objective is the reassertion of Russian power, his strategy is the reassertion of Russian power, and his tactics are anything which reasserts Russian power. And that is anything from a World Cup to wrestling with a bear to taking your shirt off and riding a horse to invading countries and saying you haven't to possibly killing people on the streets of Salisbury, trying to kill them. So he's got a point, but I think when you're the Foreign Secretary, you have to think about how you make your points. Quite. Let's end in a slightly more light-hearted way, Alistair. Which politician
0: would make the best football manager?
1: Which politician would make the best football manager? You mean the traits that they've got? Not the football knowledge. Let's yeah. as-
0: let's assume they're starting from a fairly high base knowledge of football. So they've
1: got knowledge of football.
0: Yeah. Uh, Pure leadership strategy Not so much sort of man-marking at corners If I
1: look at the British scene, I'm struggling I'm really, I'm really, I'm really struggling Uh, I think, I wonder if Alex Salmon wouldn't have a bit of what you need for for football manager Added to which he does know a little bit about football, he sports hearts Uh, So yeah, looking at the British scene right now, there ain't many What about which manager would make the best politician? Again, you see, I think that most managers, to be good at being football managers, they have to be absolutely obsessed with football. And if you're absolutely obsessed with football, I'm not sure you have the bandwidth then to go and do it. I think Alex Ferguson in a different, if he'd have chosen a different path. I don't know Klopp, but I look at Klopp sometimes and think I could imagine him doing other things. Actually, Guardiola, I look at Guardiola and think he could definitely do other things. Sean Dutch could clearly be a better Prime Minister than the one we've got because, you know, he'd say to me, Alistair, what do we do about Brexit? And I'd say, Sean, we've just got to stop it. He said, All right mate, I'll do it alright. Yeah, I'll do that.
0: <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us, Alistair. Fantastic.
1: You. That's all for Total
0: Football this week. We'll be back ready for your Monday morning commute to discuss all the weekends football on Sunday, the first of April. In the meantime, get in contact with me on Twitter. It's Tom with an H Gibbs. And let me know which manager you think would be the best politician theme music is by Polvo. Go to mergerecords.com for more of their top work. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Subscribe and rate us with five of your stars whilst you're there. Go on. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons, and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust, specialist fund managers. If you're enjoying being part of the Telegraph Sport podcasting family, then do make sure to download and listen to Brian Moore's Full Contact. It's the most opinionated rugby podcast as every week, Brian and a host of big names from the world of oval balls analyse the biggest and most controversial moments from the weekend's rugby. Your Tuesday commutes will never be the same again if you like rugby.